are continuing our conversation about spiritual disciplines. We're in a series right now called Rule Your Life. And you might remember if you were here with us a few weeks ago as we started this series that a rule of life, that we're not talking about rules or regulations for your life. We're talking about a framework for your life. And uh, we even had the, the physical illustration and the image of a, of a trellis that vines grow up on. And there's a framework for your spirituality that we want to recommend for you. And so today what we're doing is continuing the conversation of each week looking at a specific spiritual practice or rhythm or discipline. Uh, we call them, we tend to call them spiritual disciplines around here. Sometimes we refer to them as practices uh, that you can add into the framework of your life so that your spirituality, your, your life with God will grow up and be healthy as you continue to walk in the way of Jesus. So we've talked about several different things already. We've talked about meditation and prayer. And today, ironically, on the day that we come to the Lord's table and celebrate the feast that God has invited us to uh, partake to remember him, today we are going to study about fasting. Uh, so uh, I, I, I just want to put a disclaimer in here. You don't have to, like when you leave here today, feel bad about going to eat lunch. Um, uh, but I do want to invite you to be thinking seriously about how fasting might play a part in your life. So we're going to talk about fasting today. My goal today is to help you to understand what we mean when we say fasting, uh, and then also to point to some places in Scripture that inspire different kinds of fasting. So this might feel a little bit like a teaching today more than a preaching today, and that's okay. We want to land some of this information in your heart and mind so that you can go with us and practice fasting. Just so you know, at the end of my message today, I'm going to tell you that there are two ways that you can respond to this message. Uh, you can think about the places where you might need to engage fasting. And by the end of my message today, my goal is that you'll understand why you might engage fasting in those areas in your life. So we'll come back around to that. We'll talk about that for a second. We'll pray, and then you'll go and talk to the Lord about it this week. And then I'm also going to invite you to fast with us this week in some way. Uh, and you'll understand a little bit about what kind of fast I might be calling for our church to engage by the time I'm done. Uh, let's start with this, though. Fasting is not just a Christian idea, and it's certainly not a new idea. You can find fasting over 80 times in Scripture throughout the Old and New Testament. Some form of fasting is practiced, and it is practiced not just by Christians, but by people from all kinds of backgrounds and cultures. In fact, the idea of fasting is having a little bit of a cultural renaissance right now. Um, there are books being written all over the place about fasting. There's entire YouTube channels that you can go and subscribe to that talk to you about how to do a fast. And a lot of the focus on fasting these days in pop culture is on the health benefits of fasting. Now, to be clear, there are health benefits to fasting. Absolutely. Uh, my brother was just texting me this week. He started doing something called intermittent fasting, which I've done a little bit of as well myself. And he's celebrating the number of pounds that he's lost since he started this new workout regimen and doing this intermittent fasting. Uh, if you want to know what intermittent fasting is all about, uh, Google it. That's not what we're talking about today. Uh, but it is, it, it, or call my brother. I, I'll give you his number and you can, he can preach to you all about the benefits of intermittent fasting. I do, though, want to put a, a disclaimer on our conversation about fasting, which I think is important every single time we talk about this subject, which is um, I am not a medical 
practitioner. Uh, I, I have a doctorate degree in leadership and spiritual formation. Nothing about that doctorate degree gives me the ability to speak to your physical health, but I'm really able to prescribe practices for your spiritual health. And so that's my intention today. If, uh, if there is some uh, degree of question or concern about your own physical health as you engage the idea or the practice of fasting, uh, please do not come and ask me how to do a healthy fast based on your physical health. Go and speak to your medical practitioner about that. But if you come to me and say, should I fast for my spiritual health? I'm going to say to you every single time, yes, absolutely. Do whatever you can to engage fasting in a physically healthy way because it is spiritually healthy for you to do so. Okay. So I, I did not just write you a doctor's note as a physician for that. So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, if you fast and something physically terrible happens to you, um, we might have a conversation about wisdom. And then again, I would send you back to your medical practitioner. Okay, so that said, with all of that kind of preface done, today we're gonna talk about what we would probably best do uh, by, by narrowing our focus down to say, we're talking about Christian fasting. So we're talking about the, the idea of fasting that is found in the Bible, in the scriptures. Uh, so when I use the word fasting today, that's the kind of the, the universe of fasting I'm referring to, Christian fasting, the spiritual discipline of fasting. Uh, again, not the popular, secular, or dietary recommendations or practices of fasting. So then, what is fasting or Christian fasting? Uh, Don Donald Whitney defined fasting as a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for a spiritual purpose. Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of the Disciplines, uh, wrote the, that fasting is the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spirituality. So he broadened it out from not being just food, but uh, a normal function, that you deny a normal function. And then Adele Alberg Calhoun describes fasting as a self-denial of normal necessities in order to intentionally attend to God in prayer. She goes on to say, bringing attachments and cravings to the surface opens a place for prayer. This physical awareness of emptiness is the reminder to turn to Jesus who alone can satisfy. So uh, what she's saying there is that when you fast from food, that your belly gets empty, and then your belly does what your belly does when it gets empty. It tells you, hey, I'm empty. And that, which is popularly called a hunger pang, popularly called, I don't know when the last time you said the phrase hunger pang was, but, uh, but it's known as a hunger pang, that those hunger pangs or those, those prompts to go and eat something that in the practice of fasting is actually a reminder not to go get food from your refrigerator or your cupboard, but to turn to God in prayer and to turn to the word of God, which is our spiritual nourishment, Right? Uh, so, so this is why she says that, the, that bringing attachments and cravings to the surface opens a place for prayer. So now, broadly speaking, fasting is essentially, in the broadest terms, fasting is essentially willingly giving up something that you enjoy or feel that you need for a designated period of time so that you can pray. Not forever, but for a designated or a set period of time. 
Again, there is a, there's a tendency in the way we talk about fasting to broaden the conversation. So you heard Richard Foster kind of says, fasting is like giving up whatever, something that you crave or desire. Uh, to, to, it's, it's called a, a giving up practice in general. I actually, though, find it helpful to limit the conversation about Christian fasting to your relationship to food. So, for example, you might hear somebody say, I'm going to do a digital fast. And for me, I find it helpful to, since I'm limiting the conversation about fasting to my relationship to food, I wouldn't call that a digital fast, I would call that digital simplicity. And later on, we'll actually talk about the spiritual discipline of simplicity. Uh, so we would root your relationship to your phone into the conversation about simplicity and your relationship to food into the discipline of fasting. Does this make sense? Just turn to your neighbor real quick and say, just say, when we talk about fasting, it's about food. Just explain that to your neighbor and make sure that they understand that really quickly. Okay, part of the reason why this is helpful, did everybody catch that? Everybody caught your neighbor taught you something real quick? Okay, so the reason that this is helpful is because there's already multiple types of fasting, and we're going to talk about that today. So there's not just one way to fast from your food, so it's helpful if we separate out the simplicity practices from the fasting practice. All right. So our purpose, again, is we're narrowing the definition specifically of fasting to this, that we would define at Life Church that fasting is the temporary, willful surrender of food in order to pray. Temporary, willful surrender of food in order to pray. Good. You guys are so smart. So then let's ask the next important question about fasting. If we know a little bit about what fasting is, we're going to get back to that and talk more about that and talk about how people fast. Uh, let's ask this question, why do we fast? Why is this an important spiritual practice? Well, a primary purpose of fasting is the cultivation of dependency on God. Psalm 41 says it like this, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. This is the prayer of the person who is fasting, that I, I know what the deer longs for, and I know what my belly longs for, but I, in my deepest sense of who I am as a person, long for you, not for something that I can find sustenance in the world, but I long for God himself. So the aim of fasting is to surrender what we long for in order to increase our longing for God. Have you ever prayed a prayer like, God, I want more of you or help me to desire more of you? God's response to that prayer is then fast because that's the spiritual and even physical practice of increasing our dependency and our awareness on our dependency for God. So let me just give you quickly then five uh, more specific reasons why we would fast. Number one, to draw near to God, maybe by means of repentance or simply to strengthen and deepen your relationship. We fast to draw near to God. We fast to prepare for ministry. We'll talk about that again in a little bit, uh, but maybe this is at the beginning of ministry or, or in specific seasons of ministry. Uh, I, I know some preachers, in fact, I've done this practice in different seasons of my life where I would fast on from Saturday night until Sunday after I'm done preaching, so I wouldn't eat until I'm done preaching on Sunday. Um, especially if I'm going to go and talk at a conference or a camp or move into a new season of speaking, I tend to fast before I go into that practice. And I want to 
I want you to keep in mind that ministry is not a profession. It's a calling that all Christians are meant to engage in, right? Uh, so I am a minister, but I'm not a minister because I'm on the staff at your local church. I'm a minister because I'm a son of the Most High God. You are also a minister if you are a child of God. And so we want to clarify that ministry is not just vocational ministry, that we fast, maybe, for example, when a loved one falls ill and we are going to go into a season of being a caregiver, it would be wise of us to fast at the beginning of that season. Maybe if you begin a new job, it would be wise of you to fast as you begin a new job, because aren't things like caregiving and the, the work that you do vocationally, that's also your ministry, right? So if you are uh, beginning a new season of work, then fasting would be a, a recommended discipline for you. Uh, another reason why we might fast would be to intensify prayer and worship. Uh, because you're hungry and it's going to remind you to pray, then it naturally intensifies those practices of prayer and worship. We fast to seek God's help for guidance, wisdom, protection, deliverance, and so on. Uh, and then we also fast to express humility or grief. We'll, I'll give you an example of that a little bit later today. But ultimately, fasting is about hunger and discipline. Hunger for God at the rejection of our hunger or satisfaction of our human physical bodies. And it is about discipline, training ourselves to turn to God as the source of our lives, spiritual and physical. Uh, Cornelius Plantinga wrote in the Reform Journal, self-indulgence is the enemy of gratitude. And self-discipline, usually its friend and generator. That is why gluttony is a deadly sin. The early desert fathers believed that a person's appetites are linked. Full stomachs and jaded palates take the edge from our hunger and thirst for righteousness. They spoil the appetite for God. Now, again, you can broaden that out and say, yeah, this is why I fast my digital stuff. Great. I would call that simplicity. You can call that a fast if you want. We all know what we mean. We're drawing back away from the things of the world that we think that we need so that we can draw into and learn to rest in the presence of God whom we actually need to increase our appetites for God. In other words, the more we indulge the appetites of the things of the world, the more we ruin our appetite for God and vice versa. The more we indulge in our appetites for God, suddenly the less we are hungry for the things of the world. Or as the famous hymn says, the things of earth grow strangely dim, right? So we lean into fast for that purpose. So uh, we, we can go on and on talking about all of the different reasons here, but I, I think it is uh, important to just pause for a side note that I, I think it's this, this matters as we talk about fasting, and this feels like a good place to, to say this. Um, I, I want to invite you to have this awareness, that having the ability to fast from a regular diet of food is a function of having been blessed by God. Let me say that to you another way. If you have enough money and food in the cupboard and the refrigerator that you can fast, you can willingly choose to fast from food, I want you to hear this, that means you are blessed. How do I know that you're blessed? Because there are other people in the world who fasting is not a choice. They do it naturally, they wouldn't call it fasting, they just cannot buy food. So it's important for us, by the way, the secular world calls this privilege, 
right? The, the, the secular culture got a hold of this idea and said, you're privileged, you're privileged, you're privileged. And God said, yeah, uh, I've been calling that blessed for like forever, right? And this is why when we have the conversation about privilege, it always goes weird and wonky and sideways because we're not having the God conversation. So let's remind ourselves, though. I think it is important. After all, God did tell us that one of the fasts he wants to call us to is to be people who think about the justice and injustice in the world. So this feels like a good place to remind you that if you have the ability to fast, you are what the world would call privileged. You are what God would call blessed. And so this is very, very important. With every privilege or with every blessing that God calls you or gives you, there comes a responsibility. And that responsibility at the very least is a responsibility to be aware of your status as a blessed person in contrast to those that are not blessed. So I invite you, my friends, if you have the ability to fast because you are physically able and healthy, Thank God for your blessing while you fast. And take a moment and make it a point as you fast to pray for those for whom health is not a present blessing. And if you have the ability to choose to fast from food despite having plenty in your cupboard, then thank God for your blessing. You do not need to feel guilty for being blessed, but you are responsible to it. Thank God for that blessing. And then make it a point as you fast to pray for those for whom food is not readily available. That might actually even drive you to take some of that food that you're not going to eat anyway and give it to somebody who can't afford to buy it. And your fasting has suddenly become an act of justice. Yeah, God, as, as we lean into this practice as a church, would you do that? Raise our awareness not just of you, but of those who don't have what we have. We are a grateful people. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's move on to another question for the day then. This is kind of the, like, where the rubber meets the road question of fasting. We've talked about why we do it, what it is. How do we fast, though? Like, how do we actually go about doing the thing of fasting? So th this question tends to come up for me as a pastor in forms like this. Um, do I have to fast by myself? Because there's some scriptures in there that make it feel a little bit like, you, don't tell anybody that you're fasting, and if you tell somebody, then you're broke your fast and then God won't answer your prayers. It's weird kind of wonky religious fear that ha creeps in. And I can understand why it does that. But this is a question that actually comes up. Do I have to, do I have to fast in, in secret? So we'll talk about that. Uh, the other question that comes up is, does fasting mean that I can't eat anything at all? And we'll talk about that. So, uh, first of all, fasting ranges from being a communal practice or a community practice, something we do together, to being a wildly private practice, something that just happens in a deeply personal way between you and God. So, let's consider four examples quickly. Uh, so, the first example would be this, what we would call regular fasting. Other, some people call this recurring fasting. Uh, you might even go so far, in some circles I've heard this being called scheduled fasting. Okay? Why do we call it scheduled fasting? Because it's scheduled. Yeah. Some of these things aren't that brilliant. They just, they just some, some stuff makes sense, right? Okay, so uh, these, are, these would be what we would call regular or recurring or scheduled fasts are community fasts that are locked into a religious calendar. 
For example, in Zechariah chapter 4, Zechariah actually is, you can read in there, uh, a description of four annual fasts. So these are fasts that you come to four times at the same time every year. And all of the people of God are called to those same fasts in the Old Testament. Then in Leviticus chapter 16, uh, that, that tells us a story of the Jewish people uh, they were to fast annually at the beginning of their year. In fact, the Jewish New Year begins with something called Rosh Hashanah, which is also known, the fe- known as the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, and and it's, it's obviously a feast day. If the word feast is in the title, it's the Feast of Trumpets. So they, they have a particular feast. They throw a party. They invite friends over. And then on the 10th day of the Jewish New Year comes a day called Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is also known as the Day of Atonement. So the new year begins with a day of feasting. Hooray! Brand new year! On the 10th day of the new year, a day of fasting for atonement. And if you know anything about the word atonement and, uh, and, and all the religious tradition surrounding that word, you know that the Day of Atonement is about repentance of sins. And so for the Jewish people, the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, is a day of fasting and praying and asking God to keep their name written in the book of life. And thank God that we also, because of the atonement that happened by Jesus' sacrifice for us, have our names eternally written into the book of life. Uh, But this is a good practice that as you begin a new year, you might take a beat to fast and pray and confess and repent sins. Now, interestingly, by the way, Rosh Hashanah landed on September 15th, so it just passed. And then this last Monday, the 25th, was Yom Kippur. So people observing that religious calendar feasted and fasted uh, on that interval. For us as a church, we actually have a tradition in the Foursquare denomination where the president of the denomination calls an annual fast that usually lasts lasts somewhere around 20 days, maybe 21 days of the beginning of a brand new year. So we are people who do a form of regular fasting. The next kind of fasting that we can look at in terms of community practice is what's called the national fast. So this is similar to the regular fast uh, for people who share religious belief, but the national fast is called by a leader of a country or a nation. Again, not probably difficult for you to get to that. In 2 Chronicles 20, an enemy army was threatening the people of Judah, and so King Jehoshaphat called an entire nation to fast. And you can read the story in 2 Chronicles 20 about how God responded to that fast. In Jonah chapter 3, the story of Jonah, if you've seen the VeggieTales movie, you know how this story goes. Uh, the king of Nineveh called a, a radical fast for the entire nation. In fact, in Jonah chapter 3 verse 6, it says when the word, what's the word? Repent. That was the word for the people of Nineveh. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, which is not a spiritual discipline I'm going to uh, lead us to practice. But if you feel like you are in deep need of repentance, sackcloth and ashes is always available for you. Um, Verse 7, then... He issued a decree in Nineveh. By or- this is how it goes. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not drink or uh, they must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. 
Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger, so we will not perish. Verse 10 is the good news here. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. I mean, praise God for his grace and his mercy, and that he's paying attention. Amen? Now, in America, Senator James Harlan of Iowa introduced a resolution in the Senate on March the 2nd in the year 1863. The resolution asked President Lincoln to proclaim a national day of prayer and fasting. And on the 30th of March of that same year, President Lincoln issued the following uh, proclamation. This is an excerpt from that proclamation. Now, therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do by this proclamation designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th, a day, the, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national, I love this word, humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Humiliation in the historical context is to say humility or humbleness before God. Uh, come in repentance for your sin. And I do hereby request that all the people, capital P, what Lincoln was doing there when he capitalized P was saying uh, not just the humans, but the nation. He's calling for the Americans to do this, to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship and their respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and, devote, and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation, again, capitalized, not the people, the cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings, no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. Man, I would love to see that proclamation brought back up by, a, by an American president in 2023 and 2024 and 2025 and 2026. Doesn't it feel like that could have been written to us? I mean, uh, maybe update the language a little bit so you can understand it. But, um, but, but doesn't it feel like we could have read that this year? God, forgive us of our national sin. Unite us as a people again as we repent of our sin and our call to pray. Uh, thank God for a president who was bold enough to say those words. And, and you can make the argument about how much easier it was to say words like that when Lincoln was the president. I'm not so convinced that it was. They were on the verge of civil war. This was a terrible time in American history. And he said, you know what we need is repentance of sin and prayer and fasting. Wow. At the risk of over-spiritualizing something, though we often under-spiritualize everything, I wonder how much God treated America the same way he treated Nineveh when, they, when their president called them to pray in the 1800s. So how do we respond to that? Well, I'm not the president of a country. This is why we pray for the president. This is why we pray for national leaders. Good thing to be talking about. There's an election coming up. Have you heard? 
So, so what do you do? Fast and pray so that this president and the next president, even if it's the same president or the old president or a completely new president, so that whoever the president is and will be would be the kind of man or woman who would call the people of God to God, who would call America, a nation that likes to say it was founded on Christian values, to actually live some of them out. Which is a critique on all y'all's politics. It's like all of them. It covers all of them. God, give us a leader and leaders who are hungry for you. Amen. Just to update our historical context, uh, this year in 2023, April 30th, was the National Hairstylist Appreciation Day. Was it National Honesty Day. Not bad. But some of you will like that it was also National Oatmeal Cookie Day. And for some reason, it was also National Bugs Bunny Day. Okay? Look, respect. Respect where it's due, I suppose. <laughs> I am not a national leader. But maybe we should reclaim the 30th of April as a day of fasting and prayer. Which, which would lead us perfectly into what's known as the National Day of Prayer, which falls on the first Thursday of May. This uh, coming year, it will be May the 2nd. What if you marked your calendar today to fast and pray from April 30th to May the 2nd for the nation? It's a perfect time to pray. Things are going to be ramping up right then, aren't they? Yeah. So, God, we, we would commit even now that we would be people of fasting and prayer during those days from April 30th to May the 2nd next year. And do something in our nation as we fast and pray. Amen. The third kind of fasting that I want to point out to you is what's commonly called the congregational fast, or maybe you would uh, refer to this as the church fast. Uh, so this is the fast of a specific group of people uh, within all of the believers who are fasting. So uh, this, these are the leaders, for example, of the church of Antioch in Acts chapter 13. It says, on, uh, it says one day as these men referring to the church in Antioch, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. What just happened? A prophetic word came and somebody said, the Holy Spirit is saying right now, uh, when I was a kid, the way that that would sound is somebody would stand up in the church and go, thus saith the Lord. That's this moment is happening on the heels of what? A local congregation in fasting and prayer. Dedicate Barnabas and Saul with this special work I've called them. So, I love this. After more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them their way. So, specific congregation. They're in fasting and prayer. And this is the catalyst for incredible ministry. Right? I want you to notice the rhythm of fasting. Fasting and prayer made positioned them to hear God. It made room for them to hear the voice of God. And then they heard the voice of God and they didn't just go, oh, great, cool, let's move on. Thank you, Lord, we got what we wanted. They spent more time in fasting and prayer after they already knew what they were supposed to do. This is wild. So fasting and prayer bookends the prophetic word 
It ushers it in and then almost in response says, God, help us to steward that well. We take seriously what you just said to us. So fasting positions us to hear and to minister. And then the fourth would be the private prayer. Uh, this is the kind of prayer we read about where Jesus gives us advice in Matthew chapter six, verse, uh, in, in Matthew 6, verse 18. He says, when you fast, don't make it obvious. He goes on really in the window of verses 16 through 18. Um, I think that, that all of your fasting should avoid public display. Oh, Jesus is teaching us wisdom here. He's saying when you're fasting, don't complain about how hungry you are. Jesus even goes so far as to encourage us to wash our faces, right? So that you aren't walking around sulking and everyone goes, what's wrong with you? And you go, I'm fasting. You're doing it wrong. Jesus says, uh, fasting actually, the way Jesus describes it, should actually bring more life to our physical body, which is interesting the way the Lord would sustain us in that. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, but the private fast is fasting specifically for personal breakthrough, wisdom, or instruction from God. Uh, I, I know people who fast and pray on behalf of someone else, and they just say, I'm just going to take a season, just me and the Lord, and we're going to fast and pray, and I'm going to pray for a specific thing, or for my job, or for uh, my finances, or for a person that I care deeply about. Now, this does not mean that no one can know you are fasting. Rather, you're just not inviting others into this season of fasting. There's other moments where God specifically calls someone to fast. Uh, hey, you need to set yourself apart because I'm going to do something through your life right now. So you need to set yourself aside to fast and pray. Jesus actually modeled this um, at the beginning of his ministry. So now, if we could dig just a little bit deeper, and then we'll end with this set of descriptions here. Um, if we could talk about four specific types of fasting. The first is easy, this will go quick. It's the supernatural fast. Most of us in our lifetime will, will not experience what's called a supernatural fast, but this is an extended fast that is what, uh, it's an extended version of what we would call an absolute fast. We'll talk about that kind of fasting in just a second. But there's only two instances of an absolute Absolute fast in scripture in Deuteronomy 9, where it says uh, Moses was meeting with God in Sinai. It says, I was there for 40 days and 40 nights, and all that time I ate no food and drank no water. Just for the record, that is a supernatural fast because 40 days and 40 nights with no food and water will kill you unless God is sustaining your life. Okay? Uh, again, not a medical practitioner. I will never tell you to do a supernatural fast. I don't have the right to do that because I can't sustain your life. But if you have the level of faith and relationship with God where you've heard him tell you to do a supernatural fast, don't come and ask my permission because I will tell you, go speak with your medical practitioner and just so you know you're taking your life in your hands. This is a relationship between you and God. Uh, you need to have heard the Lord about a supernatural fast. Do not do this on my word. Have I said this clearly enough? Okay, I just don't need to be sued by your loved ones when you kill yourself because you did a supernatural fast, but you didn't actually hear the Lord, right? But if you do a supernatural fast and you live for 40 days without food or water, come and tell me so we can celebrate that and see what God is about to do through your life. I will take zero credit. We'll just celebrate you and God and all the cool stuff. I just want to know. But these are very uncommon. 1 Kings 19 is another one where Elijah got up, ate, and drank, and uh, he was given strength by the food that he ate to walk for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. 
So uh, again, these feasts are only possible because of the supernatural involvement and sustaining, life-sustaining power of God. Uh, similarly, but shorter in uh, common practice is what we would call the absolute fast, which is avoiding all food and all liquid for a short amount of time. Esther in Esther chapter 4 gives us a great model for this. She needed to request an audience with the king, but she knew that requesting an audience with the king without being summoned by the king was probably going to be a death sentence for her. So uh, Esther sent a reply to Mordecai and said, go and gather together all the Jews at Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for how many days? Three days, night or day, my maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go to see the king. Read Esther to find out how that worked out for her. It was good. Acts chapter 9, after Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, it says he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So an absolute fast is done in extreme circumstances and for short periods of time. Again, we now know this scientifically, you can really only go three days without drinking water before you are either dead or need uh, the supernatural life-sustaining power of God. Uh, Third, the normal fast. The normal fast is abstaining from all food. Uh, Matthew 4 verses 1 through 4 says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted and became very hungry. Again, another version of the supernatural fast. Um, this, this would, again, be a great example of a, of a moment where God is doing something with Jesus. I put this one in here just so you know, Jesus fasted. This one's not for you because you're not Jesus. Okay, but not all fasting in Scripture is about me. I, I just want you to know not every verse is like about you. Some of them are about Jesus. Okay, good. So that's that's the Jesus, the Jesus one. Okay, this is the one that most of you are going to get into. Is the fourth one, the partial fast. This is limiting your diet, but not full abstinence from food. This is the most commonly practiced fast. So you can go with the the absolute fast, no drinking, no water. You can go with uh, different varied layers of fasting, which would be called a partial fast. Daniel practiced this kind of fast. Daniel was alive during the Babylonian captivity. So the people of Israel were taken away by the Babylonians, and then Daniel was actually selected by King Nebuchadnezzar to be one of his servants, and he uh, didn't want to eat the food. There's a whole thing there. You can read Daniel. Uh, the, the entire book of Daniel is very, very interesting, radical story. But in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 8, it says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch or the guard who was responsible to guard them to not defile himself. If you skip down to verse 12, it says that then he asks, he says, please test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. So a limiting of food to just vegetables and a limiting of drink to just water. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food. So compare and contrast us with the people eating all that junk. We'll eat just veggies and water. Uh, and, And then deal with your servants based on what you see. So at the end of this time, what turns out is that when he got examined, they all looked healthier and better than everybody else who was eating the king's food. So, so the chief guard said, well, I guess you can just keep eating that because whatever you're doing is working. 
because he wasn't prepared to defile himself with the king's food. In other words, Daniel fasted when he found himself bound by a kingdom that was trying to offer him the good life, and he knew that the real good life is what God offers me, right? So he limited the kinds of foods that he ate to only veggies and water. And then the, the fast has these incredible results that I just told you about. So, so Daniel knew that heaven's culture was higher than Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom culture. So he gave up the food of the lower culture so that he could enjoy the sustenance of the higher culture. He gave up this king's stuff so that he could lean into the real king's stuff. Amen? What's really interesting about that is that then Daniel becomes one of the leaders among all of the servants of King Nebuchadnezzar. He's actually, it says he's given special recognition and favor with the king. How interesting that he would surrender the, the earthly culture and dependence on the earthly culture, and as a result, he's actually given authority over the earthly culture. Huh. Strange, isn't it? How, how backwards the kingdom of God works to the way the kingdoms of the world seem to work. Maybe we would just understand it's really difficult to influence a culture you're dependent on. So I, I fast to remind myself that the dependence I have is on the king who is king over all other kings. So I, I withdraw from the needs that the culture says that I need so that I can trust the God who reigns over everything else. And so that I can remind myself, maybe even if I could use this word, divorcing myself from the culture and the needs of the world because I'm married to Christ. Yes? All right. Not dependent on the world. Okay, so um, I'm not going to get into it, but the Daniel fast is like so popular. There's books about it. You can go read the book. There's like a whole thing about how to do the Daniel fast. Um, I have friends who at the beginning of every year do a Daniel fast. Uh, It's a kind of fasting. This would be this sort of partial fasting. But I want you to remember this. Uh, Christian fasting is not simply about eating healthy. Fasting reminds us where our provision and power comes from. This is seen really clearly later on in Daniel's story in Daniel chapter 10. He is grieving about the state of the world, and so he's grieving and mourning and he's fasting. And it says in Daniel 10, starting in verse 2, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. Here's what he says. I didn't eat any rich food. No meat or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put any oil on my body until three weeks were over. So Daniel specifically says he surrenders desirable food. And I want to teach you something here, and then we'll move towards a a conclusion rather rapidly. Um, Daniel says he, he surrenders what kind of food? Desirable food, okay? So the word that is used here in the Hebrew is the word chemdah, C H E M D A H, chemdah. Here's what it means it means delight, desire, pleasant, or precious. So what kind of food did Daniel give up? Desirable food, precious food, pleasant food. And the result of Daniel's giving up desirable food was that God sends an angel to him. If you read on in the story, God sends an angel. In fact, he sent the angel, he commissioned the angel to go the day that he began to fast and pray. 
There's this whole story about spiritual warfare that happens. He finally breaks through the enemy line, and the angel shows up. Uh, and, and I always imagine this, like, for some reason, this angel is, like, out of breath. And he's got, like, a sleeve torn off or whatever. Uh, but he shows up, and he's like, man, I've been coming your way since the day you started fasting and praying. There's this spiritual enemy. I've been fighting through the enemy lines. The archangel, Michael, had to actually come and help me just so that I could get to you. And here I am, and I've got a word from the Lord for you. It's going to be okay. It's pretty, pretty profound, three weeks of fasting and praying to get that result. But that's not even what I want to point out to you. What I want you to see is in verse 11. In Daniel chapter 11, or Daniel chapter 10, verse 11, the angel says this. Daniel records, he said to me, the angel said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand that the words that I am saying to you, understand the words I'm saying to you, stand on your feet. For I've been sent to you. And then he gives them this awesome word of promise and blessing and instruction. Now, the angel calls Daniel in the, in the CSB, he calls him a man treasured by God. Now, you probably didn't catch this in your translation. But the Hebrew word for the, that we translate a man treasured by God just so happens to be the Hebrew word chemda, which is the same word that means delight, desire, pleasant, or precious. Okay, just indulge the nerd pastor for a second. So Daniel says, I'm going to give up chemda because I'm in grief and mourning for the nation. And the angel shows up three weeks later and says, you are chemda. So I have a word of blessing and promise from God. Guys, did you catch it? I'm sorry, I'm a geek, I, I know. And, and like preaching 101 says, don't bore the congregation with the original language, just tell them what it means. But you have to see this. So fasting is not boring. It's radical and life-changing. It changes you. Not just because you get hungry and learn how to pray, which is powerful and awesome. But do you understand the status-changing power of fasting? When you give up what is precious and desirable to you so that you can lean into God, God says, now you are precious and desirable to me. When I surrender what I treasure, I become what God treasures? Wow. This is good. This, you're allowed, yeah, I'm sorry. I know I, I set you up to not like get excited at any point because I told you I was just going to teach you today, but like, this is amazing. So Daniel fasts in order to get kingdom results, and he becomes the treasure of the kingdom. So God gives him the treasure of the kingdom, which is a prophetic word leading to a promise saying there's going to be breakthrough because you gave up what you wanted for what you wanted more. Okay, just think for a second. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I, I promise you. But think for a second. How many times you default to the thing that brings you comfort? And then wonder why your prayers don't get answered. 
Like we have an entire nation. We were just talking about a, it would be nice if we had a president who would call us to fast. We have an entire culture that is all about you just be comfortable. You do you, boo, is like a whole phrase. We're raising generations to self-identify as whatever it is they feel like they are today. And God said, lay down the treasure and I'll give you what you actually treasure. I'll give you the actual reward. Now, I know this might feel like a bit of a like hermeneutical and exegetical jump. Uh, if I was in Bible college still, Mark Duzik, uh, and Perry Goya would probably smack me with an F for doing this, but isn't it interesting that later on Jesus says, if you seek first the kingdom of heaven, that I will add all of the things that you desire and need? And, and, and it's a jump because Jesus isn't saying there anything about fasting, but he is talking about desire and pursuit. And so the principle can come over into our conversation about fasting, and you can, become, you can become a person of fasting because the person of fasting is the person that God says, that person is so serious about my kingdom, and who do I treasure the most? The people who gave it all because I gave it all. So who do you think he's going to give it all to? What does Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom that is mine, and I'll give you what you need. Because you're willing to lay down your desires. Right? This is why we as Christians don't understand what the Bible teaches when it says to us uh, that God will give us the desire of our hearts. James teaches us when you pray, you don't get what you ask for because you're busy fighting with each other. Oh, and by the way, because your request and what you ask for is all selfish. Okay, bring this all, right, all the way back around. Fasting is the spiritual discipline that teaches us to lay down the thing we think we want so that God will give us the thing that we actually need and our lives and our hands will actually have room for it because we're hungry and empty without what he would give us. Fasting is an incredibly powerful spiritual discipline. I'm not going to take more time of yours today to dig deeply into this story, but there's a, a very interesting story in Matthew chapter 17 where Jesus has some people come to him, and uh, there was a demon that didn't get cast out and all of that, and, and he, the disciples don't know why they failed when they tried to cast the demon out. And his response to them is, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. So in Matthew chapter 17, verse 21, just as a side note, I'm aware that some of your Bible translations leave verse 21 out. It's because there's some debate about exactly what words Jesus said. In my study, I believe verse 21 should be included in Scripture. Many, many scholars actually believe that. The point is not to get into the semantics of the words, but the point that Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that some things do not happen in our own strength. In fact, in the kingdom of God, almost nothing happens in our own strength, right? So we want to we say this, that while fasting is incredibly powerful, it is not a magic key that unlocks superpowers so that you can do miracles. You don't, ever, you don't do miracles. You've never done a miracle. You're never going to do a miracle, ever, said the Pentecostal pastor. You will never do a miracle. God does miracles through you. 
The way you become a vessel is to make room for him to use you. So empty yourself, friends. Fasting is the spiritual discipline that helps you to do that. So the wisdom of God would say to us that we should fast regularly, not because we are facing trials. Like, don't fast after the trial started. Fast regularly so that when the trial inevitably comes, you're already empty and ready to be used by God, empty of the world, full of his spirit. Amen? This is what Jesus was saying. This type only comes with fasting and praying. And then he didn't like run off and go fast and pray so that he could heal the kid. He had already been doing it, so he healed the kid. Right? Okay, so again, Matthew 17, go study that passage. I said to you at the beginning the same thing that I'll say to you now. There are two ways that I would encourage you to respond to a teaching like this. Number one is to evaluate your own life. Ask yourself, and I said to you at the beginning, you'll have a bit of a better understanding about why you might do this as a response to this sermon. Why would you need to evaluate your own life in the context of a teaching about fasting? Because you have needs, friends. You have desires. There are things in your life that you are leaning into that are fleshly desires that are not the desires of the kingdom. How do I know that? Because you're breathing oxygen and you live in this country. You live in this world. You have the internet. So I just know that to be a part of our human nature and the reality of our rhythms of life is that there are desires that you have that are not God's desires. And I don't say that to condemn. I say that to invite you to evaluate your life. Secondly, I know that you have needs and and brokenness in your life. Fasting is a beautiful and wonderful practice that invites you to lean into God's heart and presence and word in prayer, maybe even in confession of sin. Maybe you are carrying points of pain or confusion or, or maybe even spiritual doubt. Fasting is a beautiful spiritual practice that leads us into the presence of God and opens us to hear from him directly. So evaluate your life, friends. Where do you need to fast? What do you need to fast? For how long do you need to fast? And will you pray? The second way that I would invite you to respond to this message is to join us this week in fasting. I'm not calling a specific corporate uh, or congregational fast where I'm going to say to you, let's all fast uh, cheeseburgers for the next seven days. I, I could do that, and I have done things like that as the pastor of the church. I want to take a little bit of a risk this week and say, you go and fast. You go and think about how you would fast and pray. You lead your family. You sit down maybe over lunch while you're eating a meal saying, hey, we're eating this meal and we have an awareness of fasting. Just so you know, your kids at every age level have talked about fasting today. So when you go out to lunch with them, they're ready for this conversation. So go lead your family in a conversation. What would it look like for us to fast? Do we all fast breakfast and pray together for 20 minutes before we shuffle off to our days of school and work? What a beautiful practice for the next seven days to know that the people in your church are also fasting and praying. What do we pray for? Pray for your church. Pray for our nation. We've covered several areas where we need prayer as a group uh, today. So we set aside pleasurable food to lean into the pleasure of God's word and his presence for seven days as a church. You're invited. Join us. I want to pray for us. And I'm going to do that in just a moment. But I've invited you to reflect and to think. 
Can you do that now? I, I want to close. We'll close our time together in prayer in just a minute. But can you write where you're at? Whatever distractions there might be, set all of that aside. I'd even invite you to take a couple of good deep breaths with your eyes closed if you feel like this is a safe place for you to sit, not looking around at anything. I promise you no one is going to jump out at you. With your eyes closed, take a couple of deep breaths and evaluate your life. Are there areas of sin? Is there sickness and brokenness? Is there need or doubt? Are you experiencing lack or loss or grief of any kind? As specific ideas come to your mind, I invite you to say to God, this week I give these things to you as I surrender the pleasurable things to fast and pray. God, these things that have come to our minds, would you do something with these as we fast and pray? God, would you increase our desire for you? As we fast this week in all the different ways and expressions of fasting this week as a church, and whenever we fast in the future, we say, God, we come to you with humbleness of heart, but boldness in our spirit. God, as we fast, satisfy our spiritual hunger. Cause us to become like treasure to your heart, like Daniel did when he fasted. And God, hear and answer our prayers with both love and power. We thank you, God. We thank you for the gift of fasting. And we thank you also in faith for the fruit of fasting. And finally, my friends, I pray this blessing over you today, this week, and into the future. May your fasting be a blessing first to the Lord and then also to your own life. May your hunger increase and may it be satisfied in God alone. As you practice the willful surrender of earthly pleasure, may you experience the life-changing power of God's favor. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.